if you would, you can open um, your Bibles if you have them or use the one in front of you in the pew or on your Bible app. Um, Second Thessalonians going to be the same place kind of we were last week. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Small book towards the back or letter as it is. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. We're going to read through five. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse three, starts like this. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for how it speaks into our lives, speaks to us individually, and it speaks to us collectively um, as your church. God, I ask for um, your help today, gift of teaching. Let your word and the words that you want heard, the message that you want to be heard, today be loud and clear god we just ask for your guidance your direction uh, the truth of your calling in our lives and the truth of who you are to shine through us and everybody that we encounter everybody that we meet everybody that we come in contact with that we can show your love mercy and grace and everything that you've given us to others in jesus name we pray amen my name is Chris. Um, if you were here last week, you get round two. Um, I'm sorry. The, uh, <laughs> apparently, they couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do want to pray for um, Dr. Steve, definitely. I play golf with him every once in a while, get to, and that kind of stuff. So we definitely want to pray for his health. And Mike is traveling back. Um, but you, you are stuck with me for part two here. And basically, what I've decided to do is, if you weren't here last week, that's okay. It's still going to make sense, but I thought the easiest thing, even though I had a couple less days to prepare, because I, I don't, I, maybe y'all were looking for somebody else, I'm not sure, but I, I, I wasn't sure I was speaking until like, I don't think Monday or Tuesday. Um, so, with that the case, I was like, well, what's the best thing to do? Let's do part two. Let's just, let's, let's do a second segment of um, a kind of an add-on of what we talked about last week. And like I said, last week we were in 2 Thessalonians 1, and we were a couple verses lower, and we were talking about calling and choice. Calling and choice. The call of God on your life and the choices that you make. And so I'm going to title this sermon, Calling and Choice Dash the Church. We're going to look at a little bit more macro view of um, the calling of God, the choices that we make, but how we do it collectively as a body. Now, a couple housekeeping things. One, I think I learned my lesson not to kind of talk a little bit of trash when I talked about Kentucky beating South Carolina last week because we lost last night. Um, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, but I, I didn't actually get to see the loss of the UK. I'm a UK basketball fan, by the way. Um, I, I know I'm not, I'm not originally from South Carolina either. But uh, I'm a big UK basketball fan. They lost last night. I didn't get to see it. I actually had a way better time uh, with my daughter at a daddy-daughter dance that was uh, the other night. So my voice is also a little bit off because I was singing a lot last night. Um, but we, uh, we, we did lose. I wasn't yelling at the TV, unfortunately. It would have been gone either way. E either way, this would have been, been the issue. Um, 
And I didn't get to plug last week. I'm actually here a lot, if you didn't know that. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do a Christian Taekwondo ministry on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons here that Mike and the church and the deacons and leadership allow us to do uh, back here in the fellowship hall. So um, I have about six to ten kids uh, that I get to work with Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I'm around a good bit, but it's fun to be in the pulpit. I actually, if you weren't here last week, my background, I was on staff here for about seven years. Um, and then I did my master's degree with Liberty, and then I was on staff at another church down in Myrtle Beach, Seacoast Vineyard Church, and we still attend there occasionally. Um, so I have about 12 years of on-staff church ministry experience, but I now consider myself retired um, <laughs> from ministry at a ripe old age. Um, but I do have, I have a real estate company here in North Myrtle Beach that I've had for uh, 13 years, and um, we do real estate sales, all that kind of fun stuff. And so I'm in the area, uh, kids, seven and, actually my kids are going to be seven and 14 this year, which just seemed really old to me. I was telling my wife that earlier today, that this seems like older ages than, than in the past. And, um, and again, I, I, I do thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to you. So part two, Webster defines synergy. I like that word, by the way, synergy. Webster defines synergy as this, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents, parentheses people, to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. Team sports. I don't know how many of you guys actually played any team sports growing up, or maybe still do. There is something about the collective unit, the commonality, the one focused goal of a bunch of individuals coming together to move one direction together with one common goal, with one common strive and purpose in mind. That's, that's, that is the, the, the kind of purpose of a, of a team, is to work together, to bring individual talents together. Now, me, myself, I kind of liked individual sports a little bit better. <laughs> um, I, liked, I liked the individuality, like track and tennis and, and golf and skiing and surfing. And, and you, can, you can make team concepts out there, but it was really just on you. And sometimes I think that's easier. I think sometimes there's some of us that kind of like the rise and the fall of just, is it going to, either I'm going to make myself successful or I'm not. It's, it's all on me, one way or the other. I'm not, I'm not affecting or bringing down the team or anything like that. It's it, either I'm going to win or I'm not going to win. And it's me as the individual versus the team sports that we all like to watch, I hope, or, or maybe you don't, either way. But basketball, football, baseball, you know, just kind of these old team concepts where there's still talent, there's individual talents, but they have to find a way to work together to synergize, to move in one direction to win. And it doesn't mean that, that, the, that the individual gets lost in the collective, there's, there, there are some great talents, and we see that like in draft, you know, like, I mean, obviously there are individuals that are really good at sports that get moved up and get into professional ranks and that kind of stuff, and their team didn't really do that great. But the teams that win work together. They learn how to bank off of each other's strengths, how to fill the gaps on their weaknesses, and they were on the same page with the goal. It wasn't a bunch of individual goals. It was a team effort to move forward together. If you're actually going to win championships, you're going to have to sacrifice some of the individual spotlight for the commonality of the good of the team. Church is a lot like that, and I think God did that on purpose. When we look at church, we can look at two definitions. 
not really definitions, I would say m- more two different perspectives. When we look at scripture and we see church, we see the big C. I call it the big C, okay? The big C is the church, the church, the global church, you, the followers of God, the bride of Christ, the people of God, all around the world, the big C, the church, the mobile, the living, the breathing church, which is made up of all believers that follow God and his son and live with the Holy Spirit in their lives with a common goal of reaching out to others, to bring them into the fold of God's family. That's God's, that's God's calling on the church, if you didn't know. But we are the church. We and every other believer on this planet are the big C, the church. And God talks about the church a lot in scripture. But then we also have the church, or your church, or our church that we go to, our congregation, our group of believers, Lakeside, Seacoast, one of the other 400-plus churches <laughs> up here, probably in North Middle Beach or the greater area. The, the church, which, which is who Paul's writing to in, in, in Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, is, is, is a, a church. And he's writing to a group of believers in that region, that area, when he writes these words. And we look at this, And while he's writing to a group of believers, he's writing to each individual in that church as well. When we talked last week about calling and choice, I tried to give basically my opinion of where I think we fall when we try to narrow down calling and how we define it. And we try to take calling and we try and make it to this to this talent thing or this, this one singular purpose of my life that it usually manifests itself in some kind of job or some kind of relationship, and like that was the call of God on my life. And I just believe that God has a bigger viewpoint than that. I think God says that I have a calling for you and the choices that you make throughout your life, as long as you use the calling as, as that kind of checkpoint, and you bank every choice against the bigger calling of God, then I'm going to bless your choices. Which I find is a relief. Because that means I don't have to sit around waiting to hear and see, oh, is that the right thing? Should I be doing that for God? Should I be doing this in my life? Should I be doing that? Should I take this career opportunity versus this one? Because if it's really, and here I'm about, about to give you the definition or the whole point of last week, if it falls under, and I can, I, can, I can check it against, okay, is it something where my faith is going to be increasing and my love is going to be increasing, and when I do it, I'm doing it for God, then I fulfill my calling. And that's what we're looking at in this scripture. If you just reread what we just read, it says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, rightly so, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love every one of you has for the other is increasing. Faith and love. And then last week we read further down, 
and everything was to the glory of God based on your choice. So to me, calling is in that box. Is my faith growing? Is my love growing? And is everything I'm doing for the glorification of God? If I make choices every day based on that criteria, then I'm fulfilling my calling from God. And he'll bless the choices that I do. The choices become up to us. It becomes a both-and situation, calling and choice, calling and choice. And they just keep ebbing and flowing together, weaving together. And we're not waiting, sitting, doing nothing, becoming apathetic. And we, we, just, we just realize, okay, God's calling on me is to grow my relationship with him, to grow my love for others, and to bring him glory. And in so doing, I can do about anything. I don't have to really make sure that that was the one thing. And I don't have to regret missing something because I didn't do it then. I can start today. That was a summation of last week. How I see this playing out in the church is kind of the same. See, having been on staff and at, at different churches, having families been on staff at different churches, studying church culture over the last couple decades and the movement of the church in America, you know what you see a lot of? And spoiler alert, it's not that different as in the past couple thousand years. You see a lot of personal agendas. You see a lot of divisions and opinions that divide the church, the local church, that divide believers. See, and, and how I know this is because I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I get, you know, I can get on my high horse of what, you know, this ministry is the most important, and this is where all my focus should be, and this, this, this should be like the cause of the church. And leaders can do it, people in the church can do it, Maybe visitors can do it. <laughs> a lot of us can be guilty of being self-absorbed and self-focused on just what we think the church needs to be about or our church needs to be about. Either the bigger, the bigger splits of denominational splits or the smaller little factions within a local congregation body, we all can get real guil guilty of being a cause of division whether it's outspoken or even just in our mind. I know I am. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Maybe you've, maybe you've lived your whole life in the, in the perfect church. And if so, please see me after. I'd like to know where that is. Maybe, maybe you've never been a part of any kind of disagreements or, or divisional splits within churches or denominations. Maybe you've never seen believers argue over what, really? Silly things insignificant when you look at the macro picture of the call of God. I know it's really hard sometimes because I think what we try and do is we put our talents into thinking, okay, since, since I'm really talented this in, in this area, it needs to become the most important and my talent's better than this other person's talent in this area and, 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 and they're just not as important as this. Instead of seeing how everybody's talents work together, where have I seen this before? Like in scripture, where he talks about the body of Christ, and I think that can be applied to both the local church and the church, the global church, but how the different parts make up the sum of the whole, 
and we work as a team together for the common mission of what? Growing our faith, showing our love, and bringing glory to God as we reach out to others. What if that calling was hovered above everything that we do? What if instead of worrying, you know, instead of segmenting out every little ministry and having it stand alone and be isolated, be on an island, which I've been guilty of doing, we saw how it worked together for the whole mission of the church, of that church, of the direction we were going. What if children's ministry wasn't just, just about children, but their parents, their families? How do their families intertwine? What does our worship ministry look like in connection with our children's ministry? It's not just a sermon and a couple songs, but it's a whole worship service where we're trying to connect with God. And how does that translate into the rest of our week? When we do other ministries here, how do we use the church building to reach out, to connect with more people? How does everything work together to achieve the common mission of God for his people? There's a lot of scripture. When we go back and we read this verse, it's very easy to see how I used it last week, how it applies to each of us as believers. But when something in scripture applies to each of us as believers, it also applies to the church as a whole. There's a both and in a lot of scripture as you read it. These letters are written to churches for the most part when Paul's talking. He does talk to Timothy individually, but he's talking about Timothy as he leads a church of believers. But a lot of these are written to the church, the group of believers in a certain segment, but we take them as how does it apply individually to our lives, and that's okay. You gotta think God intended that in Scripture. He intended us for us to both see how this applies to us as individuals, because as it applies to us as individuals, if we put it into effect, then it can apply and affect the whole. And when we listen as a whole, then the whole church moves as a body of believers in a single direction together. And I think that's the purpose. I think that's the point. I think God wants to move us as one, not just individuals. And we're not always going to move at the same speed. Some of us take time to catch up. But if we bring and we have that mentality, if we have that perspective that we're working together and that we're moving as one and we should be having that perspective and going that direction, then it's a lot easier for us to fill in each other's weaknesses, our gaps, pull each other along, catch up, and work together as a church. And then our church worked together with the church as a whole. I think our calling on the church is a both-and calling. As us as individual believers, like last week, understanding the call and the choices that we make, we need to translate that to the call of the church and the choices that we make as the church as a church, as a congregation? Do we put into effect into everything that we do, every choice that we make, every ministry that we start, every outpouring and outreach that we do, all of our leadership decisions, is it to grow our faith, our relationship with God, our congregational relationship with God, and is it to grow our love for each other so that it's ever-increasing? And are we doing everything are we checking everything against, does it bring glory to God? Or is it self? 
Is it bringing glory to God or is it selfish? It's kind of the only way it's going to fall. One of those two things. Growing our faith and increasing our love is not just an individual call that God has for each one of you as believers, but it's also a collective call that he wants for the church. That's why Paul is boasting about it. He says, we boast about your church to others because of these two things. We see your faith growing, love increasing, kind of the main point, we're going to boast about your church. That's a good church. The church in Thessalonica is being boasted about because of those two things. A growing relationship with God and increasing love for each other and those around them. That's how they know. Now the other little caveat with this particular piece of scripture is interesting. Because it says that they're boasting about their steadfastness of faith and love in the midst of persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. And that, this, is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy for the kingdom of God for which you're also suffering. Now that's a whole other sermon I'd love to preach sometime, part three. Um, But in the midst of everything, their faith and love is growing in the midst of persecution and trials. And that's proof that God is in it. Don't we think the opposite sometimes? Like in the midst of that, Paul's saying the proof that God is right and just and good and there is because you're having persecution and trials. And in the midst of that, your faith and love is increasing. Sorry, I didn't mean to get a sidebar, but that is, again, another whole sermon that I'd love to preach in time. But it's amazing that we sometimes kind of check out and think the opposite. So put that aside if you can. I know that's really hard to put aside because who was that guy that said we'd have troubles in this life? Oh yeah, Jesus. He said that, and we're going to have persecution and trials if we follow him. I get that, but put that aside for just a little bit and think about just the faith and love increasing. Do we construct every one of our decisions as the church, as a group, as a collective body within those two parameters? I'll give you time to think about it. Is every decision that you make from a leadership, ministry, volunteer standpoint within the parameters of growing faith and love? Because I feel like that's what God's calling us to do. And I feel like that leaves us with a lot of room to make a lot of choices. That leaves us with a lot of room to choose direction and ministries and outreaches, and how we do things, and how you do worship, or how you do children's ministry, or how you do youth ministry, how you do the music, how your building looks like, who you're trying to reach, what kind of outreach ministries you participate in, where you give your money and tithe. I think that leaves some some choices for the direction of each local congregation, but God says just make sure your framework is this. A growing faith as a collective and an ever-increasing love for each other. See, back in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives this whole discourse right before he's crucified. A couple chapters worth that John records. And in chapter 13, 
verse 34 through 35, Jesus says this as he's gathered his disciples, and he's at the Last Supper, and he's talking to them, and he says this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the call to love isn't just to love others outside the walls, outside non-believers. The call to love is inside the walls. Because if we can't love each other as believers, it might be a lot harder to love non-believers. Now, sometimes it's not. (laughs) But God, Jesus, declared that the way people will know that you follow him is by how you love each other. How this group that shares a common belief and a commonality of faith, how they love each other, that's going to be the light on the hill. That's going to be the sign to other people that they are different. That the diverse people that come together as the church, big C of God, the group of believers, how those people love each other, that's how they know you're my disciple. And, it's, and, and this isn't a choice. This says a new command. By commanding us, we do have to make the conscious effort and choice to do it. But it's a command. It's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Jesus said, this is the new command. You have to love one another. You can go read then the letters of John, 1 John and 2 John, and you can start reading some of those. And he really gets into, if you don't love, you better check yourself. And he is talking to the church. But even in these simple sentences, Jesus declares that loving one another is a prerequisite for people to be able to tell that you are part of his disciples, that you are part of his followers, that you are part now of the church. Couple that with faith, where a lot of people get lost that faith is like a one-time decision, like, okay, I'm choosing to accept God's gift of faith, I do believe in him, boom, done, good, check my card, I'm all right. But Paul says, nope, that's not right. Faith is not just a one-time decision. Faith should be ever-growing. Faith should be ever-increasing. Your, your faith should be like a race, he says. And I think of this. When I was running track and I was racing, as I'm running towards that door, guess what that door's doing? It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger the closer I come. So when I get closer and closer, the more real, the more big God gets in front of me as I run towards him. And it becomes more clear. And it becomes more real. And it grows. Just like our faith should be growing as we pursue The pursuit of God is going to grow our faith. Our relationship can't stay stagnant and still. It is not a one-time choice. Our faith must be ever-increasing. And I believe that if we strive for that, the Holy Spirit inside of us will make us hunger for more. It's not work at that point. It becomes like an exponential snowball, just rolling, rolling, getting bigger and bigger, picking up speed. You'll want more. You'll want more relationship with God. 
And when you put these two things together, love and faith, as they increase, the faith inside of you is going to manifest itself into the love that you show for others. And they're both going to just ebb and flow up. Grow, 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 grow. And God says, this is the calling, and this is how I can boast about your church, is because your faith is increasing and your love is increasing. And we have to first realize that as individuals, and then as all of us do as a collective, we can move together as a church body. And we don't have to do this on our own. We have a helper. We have help in this. We're not by ourselves on our own human nature to try and depend that we can do these two things. God knew that. <laughs> Jesus said, I have to go away, and it's good I do because you are going to, I'm going to send somebody to help you out with everything that I've declared that you need to be doing for me on mission. He sent his Holy Spirit to live inside each believer the third person of God with us and able to be with all of us at the same time. Charles Stanley, I read this quote the other day. I thought it was apt for what we were talking about. Charles Stanley from his book, The Living in the Power of the Holy Spirit, said this. He said, many people seem to think that the Holy Spirit has been only poured out on those who are preachers, teachers, missionaries, or some other type of full-time Christian worker. Not so. The anointing power of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. This means for every single person sitting in this room, God gives the full access 100% to his spirit, his divineness, to work inside of you to help you increase your faith and increase your love and to work in this world in the choices that you make to fulfill the greater calling of God. Every single person. He doesn't pick and choose team leaders. He's bestowed different talents on each one of us. And I guarantee you, you have a talent that God has given you. But he's given us all the same spirit to work that out so that we can fulfill the mission of the church together in unity. All striving towards the same goal. It's not enough to think of faith as just a one-time decision. And it's not enough to just know I'm supposed to love people. You have to do both. It has to be ever moving. moving. It can't be stagnant and static. Your faith and love have to be ever increasing, and God gives you help to do it. And not just human standard help. He, get help. he gives you divine help. He gives you himself living inside of you help you fulfill that. I'm going to read this. And I usually don't read, but I wrote this, and it made sense to me. I don't want to mess it up by trying to memorize it. Without daily action that is a result of being consumed by the call of Christ to a growing faith and an outpouring of love, then God is not glorified. Thus, our relationship with him is futile. Like dirty rags, coming from Isaiah, become our deeds and efforts and we have totally missed the purpose of the call and choice to be the church of God who he intended to represent him on this earth. Without frameworking 
every decision in the call of God. Every effort and every choice we make is just nothing. We have a very limited time on this earth. And God says he wants to make sure that we use it to the maximum benefit of him. And thus he'll bless all of our choices that are frameworked within the growing of our faith and love and the mission of God. It's, it's not too late to do that, though. I know a lot of us can get that feeling like we missed it. That we missed out on some kind of calling or opportunity. And the problem is when we sit with some sort of regret, like we missed an opportunity, a lot of times it leads to apathetic non-action. You just kind of dwell. And usually when you dwell, it immobilizes you to do nothing. And God doesn't want that. He says you can start today. The same message I preached last week about you as an individual, that it can start today, the same applies to the church. Wherever you're at, every congregation, every body, every church group of believers has the opportunity to start fresh anew today about God's graces and mercies are new every morning in Scripture. It's, it's because each day can be a new start. And I think if all of us as churches kind of took that approach, then we wouldn't dwell on something that we missed out on or that we did that wasn't successful or that, you know, uh, we're just, we've tried that before or we didn't try that before and that's not going to work and all the negativity that comes along with it and it just leads to inaction, doing nothing. God says no. Faith and love, get this, it's a bigger framework, it's a bigger calling, and if you're increasing your love for each other and you're increasing your relationship with me, church, go and do. Do everything within that framework, that, con that construct, and I promise you I'll be there with you to bless it if you're bringing glory to my name. That leaves a door wide open on what Lakeside can do and what every church can do if we have that mission in mind. We didn't miss it. We just might not have been doing it up to now. But we can do it every day. We, collective, as the church. The church is interesting because it's one of the only organizations on earth that exists for people that don't belong yet. It's one of the only clubs that most everything that it does, all its finances, what it's doing, is really not for its members. So our goal is to reach out to the world, to be a light that attracts non-believers, to bring them into the fold, to show them the love of God and mercy, what his son did for us, who his son is, how he affects each and every day of our lives, what their eternal hope is beyond this life. It's not just for us. Like the message and what we do in here, in this building, is not for in here, in this building. It's to refuel for God to send us out there for those that need it, that don't have it yet. It's a really neat organization. 
our goal, the reason our faith and love want to increase is not just for us in here, sitting here. It's for others. Others that don't know who he is. Because he wants them to. He wants them to know who he is and what he's done for them. And we are the vehicle to do it. I'll end with this. I do a lot of marketing for company and myself. And social media marketing kind of is big right now. Don't tune out on me, social media marketing. Um, there's two metrics that we use when we measure uh, that, that are really big, from especially from a social media uh, marketing standpoint, because we, we have to track through these two. It's not the only two metrics, but they're two very important metrics. One is reach, and one is engagement. Now, they are correlated, meaning as reach goes up, how many people have seen it, how many people you've gotten in front of, how many people you've gotten it out to, the more engagement happens. They run, they'll coincide it. Less reach, if you put it in front of less people, there's usually less engagement. When I say engagement, there's interaction with it. The, if you're on Facebook, the like button, or sharing it to one of your friends, or sending it somewhere else, double tapping on Instagram on the photo. That's engagement. Reach is just, oh, there it is. Saw it. Or it was in front of them for a second. I can see how this applies to church a little bit. If you don't have any reach, how do you have any engagement? If we're not reaching out to the people that need to know who God is and don't yet, how do we ever expect them to walk through the door? Because most of the time, you're not going to get engagement. I'm in. Checking it out. Seeing what you're about without the reach and getting the reach in front of more people. If everything just stays in, it's really hard to get engagement. Not impossible. God can do whatever he wants. God. But I think he's given us a formula to increase our reach so that we can have more engagement. And I think the call for reach is not just us as individuals. I think it's on the church as a whole, too. And I think that's why he gives us such a macro view of calling. That if in everything we do, we're increasing our faith in him and our relationship with him. And everything we do, we're increasing our love for each other. And thus, it's shining this light of love that the world is noticing. And everything and every decision and every direction that we do is with those two purposes in mind, knowing that everything we want to do, we just want to bring glory to God. That's the reach. And then the engagement from others will come in. To this church, to all churches. And that's really what the church is about. Pray for me. God, thank you for this time we've had together. I, I thank you for I thank you for your word, how it speaks to each of us individually, and how it speaks to each of us collectively. How it pushes us to go beyond ourselves, sometimes beyond our comfort zones, to reach out to others, 
to reach out to others that aren't in the fold. For us to like daily work on with the group of believers that we are in, the church that we're in, we work on our love and we grow in our faith because we want to do that to be able to reach out to those that don't know you, that don't know your son, that don't know what he did, dying on the cross for us, rising again, giving us the hope of eternal life, and then sending his spirit to live inside of us so that we're not alone, that we have a helper that will help us fulfill the mission and the calling that you have for us as individuals and us collectively as the church, the bride, your vehicle of faith to the world. God, I just pray for each person here, and I pray for Lakeside as a whole, that we answer your call, that we move in your direction, in your framework, so that every ministry from this day out this day moving forward is running towards you and your purpose so that we can engage with a world that needs you in everything that we do. Amen.